NFL Week 9 line moves and Zuma with Tuesday's trade deadline. We also saw plenty of roster moves thanks to a record number of deals on deadline day. Which trades do you think will have the biggest betting impact as we look not only ahead to Week 9, but to the rest of the season? Uh, good, very good question. Um, I think Bradley Chubb was probably be the uh, was probably the biggest trade because we saw a first round uh, pick getting trade towards Denver, and then now this morning we got the record setting deal for Bradley Chubb. I think that he was a big trade, but he won't have a major impact because the Dolphins' defensive line was already pretty good to begin with. And their issues uh, were laying more in secondary play and not really at their defensive line. He will make the defense better, no doubt. But I don't think it's such a high impact um, only because it was the biggest trade. I think one trade that uh, could be sneakily underrated, especially going uh, towards December, January, was TJ Hawkinson because Irv Smith super talented tight end but lots of injury troubles in the past and i i really think that the vikings offense needed another weapon um because i think kirk cousins is averaging and we will talk about it soon i guess it is averaging the worst epa per play uh through eight weeks in his uh career so the vikings could really use or could have used another weapon and i, I I really like that move. Uh, I don't really understand it from the Lions' point of view, to be honest, because I think at some point you got to build around your young building block. But yeah, that that move was really interesting from both sides, in my opinion. Well, let's go out of rotation order a little bit and stick with the Vikings since that trade could be pretty impactful over the course of the rest of the season. Minnesota at Washington this week, and we've seen some interesting movement on the side. Vikings opened a three-point favorite. We saw that go as high as minus four, and now it's back to an expensive three or a lot of places even back in the range of that opener, a flat minus three for Minnesota. Suma, what do you think is behind the recent surge of money on Washington, despite the fact that the Vikings seem to have made an upgrade at one of their skill positions on offense? Yeah, I think it was a line move about 10 minutes before we started, so pretty interesting move across the board. I think... When it comes to the Vikings and Commanders, there is really a very interesting debate about how good both teams really are. Because the Vikings, there's a seven and one, or is it six and one? Um, but their underlying metrics don't really match up with the overall record. And like I said, Kirk Cousins is playing statistically in terms of EPA per play the worst season of his career when we only focus on, on the first eight weeks of every season. Uh, the Vikings defense has not been really good so far year to date. Their pass rush is uh, sli uh, slightly coming together over the past two weeks, but it's not a team that anyone would rank near the top tier in the NFC. I mean, in top tier of NFC, Eagles, Cowboys, then there's a gap, and then we could probably debate whether the Vikings belong there uh, or whether we would have a team like the 49ers even ahead of them. And for the Commanders, they just switched to Tyler Heineke, but over the past th three weeks where they had three wins, uh, they really needed some fluky stuff to beat the Bears, 
and some fluky stuff to beat the Colts last uh, week. So I think there is this this back and forth whether uh, or about which team is more for real, so to speak. And we might see an interesting back and forth with the three and the three and a half. I think Teacher Hawkinson, he will play a role probably, but I, I don't know or I'm not sure how much it's going to be. We might see more uh, from some practice report going reports going forward. But usually guys in the passing game don't have the biggest role. I mean, Robbie Anderson, I think it, it was his second game officially for the Cardinals, and, and he ran six routes last Sunday. So we don't know what we are getting. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting debate, I guess, between the three and the three and a half uh, going towards Sunday, unless we see any other significant uh, injury news. Sticking in the early window on Sunday and hopping over to the AFC Indianapolis at New England. This side has also seen some noteworthy movement over the course of the week thus far. The Colts opened as high as plus six and a half, and that number is down to as low as plus five. It's some sharp shops. And Suma, I want to talk to you about the quarterbacks in this one, because as we look at Sam Ellinger, his mobility was the reason why a lot of Colts fans might have seen some upside with the quarterback change from Matt Ryan. And he only ran five times for 14 yards if we exclude a kneel down at the end of the first half last Sunday. So the mobility not maybe as promising as people expected it to be in week one for Ellinger. Also, of course, a rookie QB going up against Bill Belichick. We know what that means historically. But on the flip side with the Patriots, Mac Jones had some head-scratching decisions last Sunday against the Jets. I know he was bailed out by a roughing the passer flag to negate a pick six at the end of the first half in that one. And yes, by the letter of the law, that was a penalty. But in reality, I think the spirit of the law would beg for that flag not to have been thrown. So overall, as we approach this one between the Colts and the Patriots, is there a quarterback situation on either team that you find more alarming at this point? I think I find the Mac Jones situation more alarming because we don't know what we will get from Sam Ellinger going forward. I mean, at some point, the Colts have to use his legs and I really thought that this would, would have been an, an emphasis going going into the game against the Commanders. And it, it was very mind-boggling that he uh, did not run the ball, uh, especially, I think, he had close to 500 carries in college at Texas. So that was really, really mind-blowing. I mean, I can understand that you cannot change your entire offense within one week, but I really thought that especially with how bad their one game uh, is is going right now. I really thought that they would switch to more of a run-heavy, dual-threat quarterback kind of offense. Will we see it this week? I don't know. I hope so because uh, the Patriots have shown a tendency to not being able to stop that. We saw it against Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson this week. But I think the quarterback situation for the Pets is more alarming because Mac Jones had an incredible rookie season um i think i treated it back in july or august statistically speaking it was one of the best rookie season performances over, over the past six years when we look at underlying efficiency metrics and this this season i give him the injury but he ranks 28th out of 39 passers in terms of pff passing grade and that's something that i did not expect going going into the season because he has been that accurate passer with a low ceiling, but he was moving the offense last year. 
and that's something that we have not seen th this year. So yeah, I, I'm really concerned about that offense. And I think at this point, no one can really make a good case for why uh, Mac Jones is still a significant upgrade over Bailey Zeppi. That offense was moving the ball down the field much better with Bailey Zeppi. And I also think that Matt Patricia called a different offense with more play action, getting the ball out quickly. And yeah, at some point, I would not be surprised if the Pats revert back and go back to Betty Zeppi. One quarterback whose footing was a little uneven to start the season has really been solidified in terms of his validity as a starting quarterback in this league would be Geno Smith. And that will take us to the late window on Sunday. Smith and the Seahawks taking on Arizona in a home game for the Cardinals. And we've seen Seattle go from plus three down to plus two. And that might be a little bit of a head scratcher for some betters who recall that Seattle closed plus two and a half hosting Arizona just a few weeks ago in week six. So Suma, over the course of the last three weeks, as we consider the betting market narrowing the gap between these teams considerably, do you think that's been more upward mobility for the Seahawks or more downward mobility for the Cardinals? I think it is, in general, upward mobility for both teams, but more so for the Seahawks. Um, the Cardinals, since then, they got the Andrew Hopkins back. Uh, Robbie Anderson might have a bigger role. I mean, at some point he has to. You cannot let him run six routes again this week. But I also think that the Seahawks look even better than the Cardinals over the past uh, two weeks. And I think rightfully the market is pricing in an adjustment um, over the game three weeks ago uh, you said it cardinals uh, close minus two and a half now we are looking at uh, two basically two across the board at home so the market is basically saying since three weeks ago we were out pricing the home the potential home field advantage switch from seattle to arizona and i think at, at at this point, when we also consider some of the injuries that the Cardinals are dealing with, uh, they had four starting offensive linemen either on IR or not practicing yesterday. I think it makes sense uh, why the market has done that adjustment. And sticking in the late window on Sunday, only two games at that 4 p.m., 4.25 p.m. Eastern time slot. But we'll touch on the other one as well, the Rams at the Bucks And Tampa Bay has... Seen some movement on and off of the three in this one. They opened minus three. We saw the line go down to minus two and a half for the Bucks. Now it's back up to minus three, but some reduced VIG attached to that number. The Bucks, I think a consensus number would be minus three, minus 105. Suma, what do you make of the two-way action we've seen in the betting market between the Rams and the Bucks? That's very interesting because it will come down to today's injury report and what news we will get from Cooper Cup. Everything that Sean McVay has said uh, tends towards Cooper Cup uh, being expected to play on Sunday. And they just said that they would hold, uh, they wanted to hold him out, out of yesterday's practice because uh, that was the plan from the get go. And they will scale him up um, towards Sunday. I think if there are bad news on Cooper Cup, like maybe there was some swelling today. Um, I think we might see more bucks money, but if he's good to go today in the practice, um, I think we should see a little bit more of Rams money. So it's the hashtag Cooper Cup watch this week. Most important player also of quarterback for the Rams offense. And that will probably define 
the market movement for a game with two teams that are really, really underperforming and really playing uh, badly on offense uh, over the past couple of weeks. And one one team has to get back on track with a win. And uh, I think the Rams will have a little bit more pressure because the Bucks are still playing in the NFC South and um, that ship is probably easier to, to ride than the, the one of the Rams. As you talk about the Cooper Cup injury watch, I think a lot of injuries being monitored closely in the fifth and final game we'll talk about that's seen some noteworthy line movement so far this week. And that's the Monday night matchup between the Ravens and the Saints in New Orleans. The side in this one opened Saints plus three. We saw that go as high as plus four, and then it's come crashing down through the three. New Orleans currently available for plus two pretty much across the board. Again, in this one, the injuries a factor mostly on the Baltimore side. And Suma, I'm curious, because the Ravens are nursing some injuries, they've also got their bye next week. So if in doubt, they might choose to rest some guys just to make sure that they have everybody at or near full strength coming out of that bye. All things considered, do you think we're more likely to see this line continue to shorten or might it get back to the minus three range for the Ravens before kickoff? I tend to believe that um, if we see another strong move, it will likely because the Saints have some positive injury news because the, the upside clearly lies with the Saints here. Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Marshawn Lattimore. And on the Ravens' side, it's, it's really about whether Mark Andrews will be able to go because Rashad Bateman is already ruled out for a few weeks. And for the Ravens, it will come down to Mark Andrews and the, Reigns, uh, and the Saints, the other three key players. I think that the early movement or, or the, the early Monday movement um, from the four at Chris down to, down to the three and to the two and a half was simply saying the Saints should not lay a field goal in this situation with a positive injury upside on their side at home because... The Ravens still have some issues on offense, uh, very inconsistent. The Saints are just coming off that uh, crazy shutout win against the Raiders. They might get some players back. So I think that that initial move was all about that shouldn't be more than a field goal. And now it's a time for some injury watch and see whether the Saints can get some uh, players back because they have their first practice today. All right, so as we wait and see what news we get for Cooper Cup in that Bucks rams game and what kind of injury news we get concerning Mark Andrews and a few key players on the Saints, I'd like to move on to Fabian's forecast and see if there is any clarity you can lend uh, that could perhaps even uh, approach the high bar that you set last week, Suma, when you were spot on calling the favorite flipping in that Niners-Rams game. I know the Niners ended up still winning and covering by quite a hefty margin, even though they were an underdog come kickoff. When it comes to reading the market, you could not have been better on that one. Anything this week along similar lines that you might have in the sites where we haven't seen a lot of line movement yet, but there are certain injury updates or other factors you're looking for that could move the market as kickoff approaches. This week, it's it's really tough, to be honest with you. I would just say that if every report uh, from Sean McVay was true and he really only had that uh, mild inversion ankle sprain then I think we should probably see the Rams moving towards two and a half and I don't expect this this game to close above it or to close at a flat three I think if Cooper Cup is fine today we'll probably see some money kicking on uh, ticking in on the Rams 
and I don't really see too much of a injury upside for the uh, for the Buccaneers to warrant another a big move to their side. All right, so maybe another week where in the days leading up to kickoff, we'll see some Rams momentum in the marketplace. And last but not least, guys, let's weave in the hops. Once again, keeping the focus for the purposes of Between the Lines on our best drinking experiences in the last week. I think we'll all have some pretty fun updates in this segment. Jacob, want to have you lead off once again on the Friday edition of Props and Hops last week. You mentioned Halloween, a pretty big deal for you. (laughs) And I've got to say, you could do a pretty passable Brian Dable or perhaps a Fred Van Vliet costume if you wanted to go the Raptors route. Uh, (laughs) Did you dress up for Halloween? And when it comes to the drinking experience, what was the best part for you? Uh, Yeah, I did dress up. Uh, Me and my girlfriend dressed up as uh, respectively Dwight Schrute and Michael Scott from The Office. And uh, we went to... A Halloween party, and I guess the the star of the show for my Halloween drinking experience was Jager bombs. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what Jager bomb is, oh Jager bombs are it's a, it's a shot of Jager in a, a small cup of Red Bull that you that you get down. <laughs> Put it simply like that. But yeah, it was a good it was a good time. Had some fun with some friends. Uh, also had some White Claws, which I spoke about, and uh, overall good experience. Halloween's always a fun time of year. Who was Michael Scott and who was Dwight Schrute? Uh, I was Dwight Schrute. We actually did, uh, we dressed up as the way they looked for when they did the Electric City music video early on in the in the series. Yes, yes. Oh, that's too good. I love that episode. I ran a 10K in Sleepy Hollow this past weekend. And as part of our mental prep for the run, uh, my wife, myself, a couple of our in-laws watched the Office Fun Run episode. So uh, a different looking Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute, but that yeah. show, it's been off the air for I don't know how long at this point, still gets my vote as the best sitcom of all time. So I love that look on your end, dressing up as uh, Dwight and going with uh, your girlfriend as Michael Scott. I did not dress up for Halloween, but I definitely did have some fun celebrating it in New York with my wife and a lot of her family and friends. As I mentioned last week, got to enjoy some world-class IPAs by Other Half, a powerhouse brewery out of Brooklyn. Thank you to my brother-in-law, Tommy, for supplying that. Also enjoyed some Natty Lights watching football on Sunday with my father-in-law, Doug. But I've got to say, for the first and perhaps only time in the history of this show, I'm going to give the nod to Bud Light is the beer that I was drinking when I had my favorite drinking experience this past weekend. And it's probably much less about the beer specifically, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. There's a proper environment for any beer. And in this case, that would have been last Saturday night at a dive bar in great company with some great country music playing. And we talk about betting oftentimes, trying to get the best of the number. Well, this dive bar had $3 bottles of Bud Light, and that's pretty tough to beat in 2022, especially considering inflation. So I've got to say, just from getting the best of the number, getting into the best environment, Bud Light, of all things, hit the spot for me this past weekend in a way that nothing else did. So I was happy to enjoy that. Suma, I've got to think that you've got something much more elevated than Bud Light uh, is something you can highlight from this past week because Rob Pizzola <laughs> tweeted on Sunday, quote, Suma is tanked somewhere in the woods in Germany. I'd like you to explain the context behind that quote and some of the highlights from your own drinking adventures this past weekend. <laughs> uh, yes, it was technically still in Germany when he tweeted this, I guess. But I had a great uh, trip with a, fru- uh, with a few buddies of mine and we went to Denmark and um, it was a, a city called Aarhus and we straight jumped into the first pub that we saw 
And when I remember right, it was a Tuborg. And the Tuborg, I made a note, it was a malt pale lager. And that was really, really good. That was probably my, my best uh, beer experiences, uh, be best beer experience. And on the German side, we had a lot of, uh, it's called Radeberger. It comes from, from East Germany. It's a very hard Pilsner, but um, I, I like to drink it. Uh, it's, it's not for everyone uh, because it's, it's, it's really not that mild. But uh, yeah, those were my two um, preferred beers on the evening. Well, whether you're into betting or craft beer or both, we know that Suma has got all the bases covered. You can follow him on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. You can follow me on Twitter at MLandis18, M-L-A-N-D-E-S-1-8. And I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode of Between the Lines. Jacob and I will be right back with you tomorrow. Tight turnaround this week. We'll be joined by Hitman for our week nine prop betting breakdown. Thanks again for tuning in today, and we'll catch you tomorrow. Ups and ups and